Welcome to Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forge in the Dark games and their designers. I'm Justin, and I'm hosting solo, sort of, today, because our guest is a longtime co-host, Mark Cleveland, and we're going to be talking about Laser Blades, science fiction, Forge in the Dark, <laughs> and also Mark's game, Runners in the Shadows. Ah, my pleasure to talk about that, yeah. Yeah, w- welcome, Mark. Has this the first time you've been a guest? I guess it has. I guess it is, right? I believe so. Uh, usually I'm kind of hosting with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've had some panel stuff. I've been a guest once <laughs> for the first episode, and now it's your turn. Yay! <laughs> so let's jump right into it. What is Runners in the Shadows? So Runners in the Shadows is a distillation of cyberpunk dystopia. It's all of the uh, fantasy and cyberpunk mashed together, actually. So very much a kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a game about being runners, criminals in the far-flung future or the very near future. Is it unfair to describe it as Shadowrun but Blades? Well, I'd say it's more cyberpunk over Blades, <laughs> but there is a, yeah, there's definitely nods towards Shadowrun, cyberpunk and other works. And as a major inspiration, it's mentioned in the front as well. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's been a lot of folks clamoring for this kind of fiction in the discord and also elsewhere was that a big inspiration for you to actually create the product or were you kind of inspired first and then noticed that thirst for sci-fi fantasy criminal activity it's definitely the latter so Mm -hmm. i was always interested in this kind of thing and i I personally have have had run-ins with police and criminal activities i've i've been around it I grew up in kind of a, a rough neighborhood mm-hmm. and uh, had a bit of a rough upbringing, we'll say. So I yeah. see. <laughs> I, I speak from experience on a lot of these topics, and I've just managed to clean myself up quite a bit and become a designer. But I'm, gu- I'm guessing your upbringing did not involve cybernetic implants or fey magic of any kind. No. What made you want to create a sci-fi fantasy game specifically? So what drew me to this subject was definitely a fascination with computers as a youth Uh and also a very like like a knack for storytelling as well and uh and for imagining weird technology which probably lends to my ability to write something like this (laughs) and as a designer uh what other games have you designed is this is this your first foray into game design this would not be my first foray into game design if you count like the times that I made up all kinds of stuff for my D&D players sure. mm-hmm. or uh, created campaign settings for uh, fantasy games, sci-fi games. That kind of thing has always happened. I've always been creating things for my players to, to explore and uh, unlock. I think that counts. I think the f- official position of... Uh hacked in the dark is that it counts <laughs> if, if you consider it game design it counts yeah but this is the first uh like major whatever like big collection of rules new rules that i tried to put together was it a big step to decide to embark on actually writing and designing a full game definitely uh it required a bit of a skill upgrade because <laughs> i <laughs> i definitely wasn't much of a publisher uh, uh mm-hmm. as far as like putting together the documents as well as doing like art and like rule design and all of these things. These are a lot of skills that you have to kind of, you know, either have or build as you go. It really is. 
What do you think uh, helped you to accomplish that? Did it give you energy to kind of learn these new skills? Did, did any particular community help you to find your way? So I had some, uh, some, some books to publish, and that's kind of what started me on this, was a, a family member was actually like, hey, I need a book published, I need layout. So I started there and built my skill set exponentially from there once I realized I need a game, I need a text for my players. This game has grown beyond me. <laughs> I must now present it to the, the elder gods, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. and before I do that, I'm going to need... Uh, presentational elements that look good and uh, slickness to the writing. So I also had to kind of study what John Harper has done with blades and understand sort of what makes a good fiction that is open to interpretation for players, you know, when you're writing that. Yeah, I mean, he's not the only creator who I think has inspired people to design their own games and, and become like amateur layout designers as well. I know I have a similar feeling to you in that regard in that like i kind of i need i recognize the need to lay out my games and i went down on this journey to become like an amateur layout artist of sorts in the last couple years i imagine we have a similar arc in that regard but it has been an interesting journey has it improved your design to kind of learn some of these techniques it's been invaluable moving forward through the design process i didn't know what to really expect other than design iteration and revision and yeah that's that's led me down a a road of learning other skills as well social skills that has to be upgraded as well (laughs) (laughs) um, basically i'm putting the skill chip into my brain uh every day with a new you know with a new a new skill load out Well, on the topic of iteration and skill chips, this, this, that's a great segue to talking about some of the mechanics of your game. So Runners in the Shadows, is this more than simply a setting change for Blades in the Dark? No judgment if it's not. <laughs> but I think I know the answer. Yeah, it definitely is uh, more than a setting change. There's expanded things going on with the fiction here where I've decided to focus uh, a lot less on the traditional dystopian vision mm-hmm. that we get of, uh, well, I'll just say it, uh, usually high levels of racism, low levels of income, and yeah. just all kinds of other maladies for the world to deal with. I actually decided to kind of guide the setting uh, away from the traditional trope in that way by setting it in a place that I haven't seen many places set their games, which is Kingston, Jamaica. Mm. That was the first big change that players will notice, uh, readers will notice when they get into the text. And uh, the other thing they'll probably notice is that there's a specific push away from those themes in the player aids, like saying what's too close to reality for your players. Maybe change that about the, Mm -hmm. uh, the earth that you're playing in. And uh, also, it's an interesting to note that this is Earth <laughs> that the, set, right. the game is set on. So we get to bring in a lot of our real world things, but also mix it in with our imagining of what Earth might be like. Designer trick to help you with world building. Set it on Earth. It's a lot <laughs> easier. <laughs> it's also feels so personal, right? It feels personal. Yeah, it's pers- yeah, it does become more personal, but it's a good shorthand. <laughs> That's for sure. You talked to me before the interview about how the setup for this game is significantly different than the setup process in Blades in the Dark. Um, what about the setup 
for a Runners in the Shadows campaign makes it stand apart? Great question. Uh, there's multiple levels to this, but I will focus on the two main ways I think it differs, which is in crew creation. The, the setup for the fiction for having a crew is a bit different. And also the personal expression of how supernatural forces come to be. That is an element of Blades, which has a lot of exploration, but it's got two faces in this game. One is regular magic, and then you got your techno magic. So in that way, you get to express quite a bit as a player about what those mean, uh, that what the role of technology and society and things uh, like that. Are you referring to like a collaborative world building process? Right, yeah. So a lot uh -huh. of world building happens if you choose either those special playbooks that are doing magic, but also the other playbooks. Mm. In that, like, for example, there's like a muscle uh, ability. This muscle ability makes you say something about the street by declaring what the street code of honor is. Right. There are lots of world building abilities that are kind of mixed in to the traditional, oh, you get a mechanical bonus for the specific fiction. That is the most common ability I see, but then some or others make you make statements along the way. And I definitely lean in on that. And how that ties into the crew creation is that a lot of times the way that this starts off is that we talk about this crew, this criminal crew, and its purpose a little sooner. Like, players are thinking about what their crew is going to be before they finish their character in this game. Mm -hmm. They're talking about, well, if you're going to be a hacker, then I won't be that. I'll be a rigger to try to team up with you. And then it ends up leading into, well, now, why are we runners? Uh, why, why are you a hacker and I'm a rigger? And that sort of thing definitely spins into the uh, crew creation a lot because you're, you're selecting an employer as well during the setup, which gives a lot of context for, I suppose it would be like uh, all your future runs. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, um, they're, 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 the fixer's in over their head and they might be trying to stake their reputation on your crew. So that is an element that uh, deepens the investment of the players in who they choose. They won't just swap this employer out in an instant very easily. So yeah, that, that's sort of one way is, uh, it, well, multiple ways that the game kind of differs right there yeah. in the setup. Also, these tie in well with the fixer, you know, as far as the reputation changes and things they have to do with this employer, which operates a lot like a contact in Blades, but they're special in that they're your chosen fixer, mutually chosen. This comes up in the text a lot because it's not just that you choose someone, but they chose you. That's really cool. And I love the concept of abilities that have you state something true about the fiction. You know, that can happen in Blades, that happens in the course of play, but there's very few abilities that actually, like, as part of the move, the ability requirement, require that you state something like that and that adds a lot of flavor to those to those moves so I, i'm glad to see you going in that direction especially for in a crime genre game that can be really powerful yeah my players definitely love that they don't <laughs> always take those abilities but when they do they're they're gold mines for uh role playing and expression about the world now you're still playing in the genre of crime fiction if people pick up runners in the shadows after a game of blades in the dark 
what about the crimes that they're going on, the, that they're committing, the runs that they're running on, will differ from the scores that they're used to participating in? Well, one way is the multitude of threats they'll face, right? Because mm-hmm. this, uh, this setting carries uh, multiple kinds of magical ability, as well as all this futuristic technology, you get all the uh, usual tropes of like, I sneak through the shadows, try to avoid notice, that kind of thing. But then you also have like, I throw down a, an EMP jammer to, to prevent the cameras from recording me going by. And you just end up, um, you end up having to choose your battles in a way as, as a GM. Very much you have to choose those battles so that you get, mm-hmm. uh, you get a, a focused run, right? Like a score that has a clear threat that you're trying to avoid, uh, as opposed to I'm avoiding everything ever. So there's some additional, I guess, front-loaded fictional content that GMs might go through when running a run versus running a score to kind of clarify what what's happening. Also, fans of this genre will, will often be very tactically minded. Yes. <laughs> so in a way, you have to play this role of being uh, the usher towards their seats so that they can get in position to enjoy the movie uh, versus buying popcorn and getting candy and, you know, going back and forth to talk to their friends up front about what the movie's going to be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely some of that where the GM will find themselves with a huge canvas to play with. And so that's something that I think players will notice moving over to this from Blades. Speaking of tactical options, uh, the GM has a number of options available to them when it comes to rules additions in your game. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The Changing Your Game chapter includes 20 plus pages of advanced abilities and permissions that you can add to your game. Everything from hacker trade secrets to ancient rituals to afro-brazilian martial arts what what is your intention in offering so many like optional rules here and which are your favorite that you would use in in your own games okay so the first question i'll answer by saying that uh the reason why i wrote all these was to really to empower gms to I guess focus on the elements of pl- of play that their players will likely gravitate towards in the later stages of play. So like at first you're just okay, I'm a martial artist. And then you're like, well, I can punch through walls because I have a this, you know, cyber arm or whatever. And later it's, well, I've trained that to uh, a razor's edge so that now I can do backflips while cartwheeling through the opponent. So that's where kind of, I guess you can tell Afro-Brazilian martial arts is one of my favorites. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. And uh, I saw the content uh, about the red sashes and their use of uh, the sash in combat. And that really inspired me to write something that had a similar feel, but would involve other things that are more aimed at this cyberpunk genre. And... Someone's going to do some akimbo or, you know, like uh, pull out a, uh, a samurai sword or something in this game. And uh, they need martial arts styles. So <laughs> I thought that was important. Gotcha. Um, the other things that are interesting about this is, like you said, the ancient rituals. But then again, <laughs> one of my favorites, I think, is the stuff of nightmares. Mm-hmm. This is for those characters who have 
perish, but refuse to let go. And they're probably trying to become some kind of poltergeist or something. So that's their first sort of special <laughs> thing. Is yes. That regardless of how much torment they've suffered, they never have to worry about the, uh, the drain being more than one on their soul. Uh, that's sort of like a, you're going to exist in this state for a long time. So you might as well get used to it, <laughs> having all this torment. Gotcha. So ghosts can play a role in this as well, <laughs> as well as they can in Blades. Oh, the world's totally haunted. Yeah, mm-hmm. right off the bat, you get, a, you get an intro about the world's haunted. There's a nearby site of disaster where many lives are lost, and that will probably come up in your game if you're playing in Kingston. The, uh, the harbor has, has been the site of an earth, like some kind of earthquake, landslide. Many thousands of people have perished in real life, but I doubled down on that and had it be a recurring thing in the Kingston setting. So that, yeah, so there's that, you know. And yet, this is still a very sci-fi centered game. You have a whole chapter on futurism, putting some information on drones, implants, crafting with technology, androids, which is what I assume shell characters are, etc. What are your major inspirations for the sci-fi elements of your game? And how does your game explore science fiction themes? Oh, that's great. So the way that the futurism chapter kind of works is that uh, it explains some some basic precedents so that we know that you can go online and there's like this big Mm -hmm. cyberspace thing out there that sort of mirrors the internet. The basic gist of the rest of it is is kind of guiding uh, rules decisions to be made later. So one of the ways I approached this was very matter-factly, like signals do this, uh, apps do that, devices are this. So that Mm -hmm. these precedents are clear to the characters, or to the players who are playing these characters of hackers and other technically-minded individuals. The one of the ways that this is brought out is the introduction of uh, escapism uh, Mm -hmm. and how your persona can look different from you. You're not posting like a social media picture of yourself. You might have like, you could do that, but you could also have a picture of a fish person (laughs) or a pixelated gnome or something. I don't know, like maybe your favorite sprite from a video game. The way that the game approaches this is to highlight cybercrime as a special thing as well. So there's there's agents, right? Cyber agents, so to speak, kind of like, uh, so one of the inspirations for this game's science fiction includes the matrix. Mm-hmm. So we've got agent Smith as an NPC. Uh, also agent Smith is the name given to all of the agents <laughs> and they have thermoplastic masks that they wrap on their face to look like agent Smith. <laughs> right. And they wear cool shades. You know, it's not even a gender specific name, right? Uh, Agent Smith could be a woman under that mask. Uh, could be whatever, something like a reptile person. I don't know. <laughs> That's actually a theme that I h- highlighted was the themes that were present in The Matrix uh, with virtual reality, having a, uh, a mirror to reality and that it can cause you actual pain, you know, simulated or not. You, you might feel like your, your arm broke while you were in cyberspace. And it would be very real to your character as you mark the harm on your sheet. <laughs> to kind of get into our larger topic, science fiction, uh, in the Forge and Dark space, it's not a hard dichotomy, but would you say like a big difference between establishing uh, more fantastical fiction versus science fiction is that there 
are explanations you you want to provide for more of a science sci-fi theme or setting like this is kind of like the hard sci-fi versus soft sci-fi thing right explanations yeah exactly yeah absolutely there's definitely more things that i suppose they get explained in uh on the fly i noticed as a Mm -hmm. as a gm like i'll still be creating things on the fly that i didn't expect to create like explanations mm-hmm. for why, why is there a hacker here? Um, sometimes that'll happen. You know, why is there a, a mage here that has something to fight me? You know, that sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's, it still surprises me though at times. <laughs> I'll be honest. Right. Uh, the, the breadth of possibilities is just overwhelming. So a lot of my GM vice focuses on uh, honing in on what your players want to highlight and then giving them more of that to compete against or improve. And that is, I think, uh, a key takeaway from games with like futuristic elements is like picking what you want to actually focus on because now we have a whole, a whole nother range of things that could go wrong. The genre of science fiction is varied. But specifically, if we, if we can hone in on one specific aspect of science fiction that is relatively unique, I would say it might be like speculative fiction, extrapolating current technology or themes of technology to kind of create something new or imagine something intriguing that might drive our plot or story. In Runners in the Shadows, what's some good fodder for speculative fiction that you've included in your game? Oh, I love this. So this question's great because one of the things that we get is uh, we understand that there's cyberspace, but then we also understand that that has allowed many technologies that we wouldn't think would be wireless or involving signals Mm -hmm. to allow that to happen. So, for example, uh, miniaturization of technology will be a thing. That is a big, a big theme. Like I've got boom shades, for example, as an item, which is like speakers built into your glass sunglasses that, you know, people can hear what's happening and it'd be a nice listening experience, right? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, miniaturization. Uh, another way is to combine cyberspace, that concept of interconnectivity throughout the world at all times with a piece of technology that's very mundane like a cane or something, right? A cane that you could track around the world and know its depth. You know, if it fell into the ocean or something, you could figure that out. That would be just a small example of like a, a maybe an item that a player might bring into the game that doesn't really cost them a special item choice, but allows them to, uh, to get the things that they want. I think that's also probably something we skipped over a little bit was how special items don't, just automatically flow to your character in this game. Well, we have a lot we could a, cover, but we only have 45 minutes to cover it. So, so. I think it's just a theme of money. It's just that. It's just a theme of money, which I think is the other thing that comes up a lot in the technology side of this game is that the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's up to you what you and your players decide is uh, available in the current technology schema. So if you say everything is wireless, then, okay, we got to go further than that, right? <laughs> How do you differentiate the technology from the magic in this game? I'm like, there's cybermancy, so in some ways I guess you don't. But 
a lot of fiction that has both science science fiction elements and magical elements kind of pit them against each other. Is that the tact that Runners in the Shadows takes, or does it take a different one? There's a big blurring of lines in Runners here with the magic and the tech. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting things that I noticed about trying to create a playbook that mirrors the Whisper, but on a technology side, is that it didn't work one for one. In other words, there's there's not uh, there's no like ward for the technomancer. Right, Instead, it's right. like it's something else. You know, it's their emergent mind might provide some kind of armor, uh, or the fact that they're an editor, right? That's they can just like um, yeah. innately edit things with their brain. They might seem similar thematically, but uh, what they do is significantly different enough to to require some some reimagining of the trope. Absolutely. I think the other way that this is set aside as well is the way that sorcery, which is casting spells, for the Technomancer, that casting spells uh, allows you to get into this blurred area where there's crossover. So there's nothing that says that you can't affect arcane things with Technomancy. And there's also vice versa. Like, you could use magic to affect a machine, just imagine throwing, you know, lightning at a machine. Obviously, that's one way. But another way might be that your emergent character, your technomancer, maybe they're creating fireballs, but it's through an excitement of particles in the air, through signal broadcast. Mm -hmm. That that is a way that the fiction begins to blur the lines. It's implied, but it's also kind of directly stated as well in the rules, right? It's stated in the rules, but it's also implied in the GMing and the playing side of it so that you kind of know it, but it doesn't force it down your throat that you have to blur these lines. You don't, right? You could very much play that. Right. Hey, in our game, magicians can't affect machines as well. There's something like that. But what I did was I set a precedent of uh, magic is just better at affecting the natural organic type things and will have trouble affecting machines uh, in general so that the specific can override the general when it comes down to that. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? There's certain precedents. It's like we assume that machines would not be affected by a poison spell. You know, we know that. So there's that kind of thing happening as well, where there's crossover and there's division. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more broadly. Sure. What are your favorite science fiction properties? What are your favorite? Have you have you read much science fiction material in the Forge in the Dark space as research for your game? Not as much in the uh, Forge in the Dark space. Uh, I have a lot of, I guess, fictional background already with science fiction. Uh, one of the works that really inspired me early on as a kid was Ghost in the Shell. Mm -hmm. That and Akira which is one of my favorite movies ever as a work of this type. Right. Yeah, Akira really... Like, I almost wrote a section about becoming the giant blob thing in Akira <laughs> somehow. <laughs> a psychic power supplement, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, instead, I decided to go with the Omnilab, which is like, mm -hmm. um, like some program recruits you and modifies you into an offshore facility. <laughs> mm -hmm. We've seen a few games that kind of reimagine just standard Blades in the Dark formulas in sci-fi context. Well, yeah, but a lot of this is about deepening the setting as well. 
Yes. So, like, for example, the reason I pick uh, Afro-Brazilian martial arts versus Eastern martial arts is because of the setting. Also, I was drawn to it before I ever even said it in Kingston, to be, <laughs> to be truthful. But I did expect there to be players who would want Eastern things, so there's, like, Eastern pistol katas. This is saying that people from the East end up in the West in the future. Mm -hmm. It's also saying that you might wield two pistols, but, you know, be better than the other guy. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, there's some, there's some Asian or uh, Eastern elements that, that sneak their way in to pepper in the sense of being a broad world, right? It's not just a tight, encapsulated island with few visitors from outside and few people leaving. It is that, but it's also a world where you could illegally travel <laughs> by plane. So you have done some work to encapsulate this cyberpunk science fiction aesthetic. And we've seen a few other sci-fi aesthetics in the Blades space. Scum and Villainy has, you know, a, a sci-fi fantasy space adventure aesthetic. Are there any sci-fi themes or categories that we haven't seen a lot of yet in Forge in the Dark that you think would be interesting to explore? Has making Runners in the Shadows inspired any future games from you that might take place in a, an entirely different science fiction genre? for example. I would say that my work on this game, I tried to bring out the, the elements that we would expect, but then I also wanted to add this theme of uh, revelation. Mm -hmm. Revelation to me means uh, the uncovering, like shining a light into the shadows of this fantasy world to explore the things that are lost. There's a big theme of ancient history, ancient past, so, so that I think is something that I haven't seen much in the cyberpunk genre is talking about the ancient past as much. The world's history, because it's always really focused on the now, right? Yeah, it's always something new is happening. Well, Shadowrun did this as well, where they have some elements of like this long-term world scale, solar scale calendar going on. Yeah. And uh, I, I definitely enjoyed that element, but I also want there to be these lost cities emerging throughout the world, for example, Atlantis, Azatlan, these cities are emerging and runners are going there to get the cool stuff. The megacorps are trying to exploit that. So that's kind of the, the onus for all the cyberpunkiness to emerge is uh, these ancient discoveries recurring and the occurrence of dragons, ghosts lingering in the world. Could you play a group of runners whose, whose job it is to like, prevent the corpse from getting their grubby hands on these ancient artifacts? Is, is that within the scope of the game? Well, yeah, so we just had the actual play on the channel. And mm -hmm. that's, uh, that is actually a good example of that because the runners decided to be arcane duels. I'm not sure. I, 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 they were basically trying to <laughs> stop, stop the exploitation of the magical artifacts and the continuing hauntings for personal gain. They're basically trying to stop the corruption of the, the magical fields. So they decided to be a crew of radicals and their radical motive was, <laughs> it was an apartment complex that they had friends in, I think, uh, contacts that had been haunted beyond belief and scared most of the people off, preventing their ability to work there and, you know, do, do the things they need to do. This theme was 
highlighted as well by their choice of movement. Uh, the feature of their manifesto that they considered to be the world that they said the world considered to be extreme is the preservation. So in other words, things are advancing too quickly was what they were saying. And this is a feature of every radicals crew book is that they would have a movement that they would describe as well as some central feature that the world considers extreme. Mm -hmm. So that way we get to say, we could say that secrecy is extreme and that the thing that you want to do is disclose all the information, right? There's like a theme of like, keep all your secrets, don't share your data, something like that. Um, and they could, you could be a radicals crew that's focused on that. Uh, in this way, you get to explore those cyberpunk themes a bit more than you might otherwise, because there's always something. Yeah, you get to feel a little more punk because you're counterculture. Yeah, this is the counterculture book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. I mean, I'm drawn to that myself. <laughs> so, yeah, I was at the fantasy of being counterculture. What's interesting, too, is it's also to describe your groups, right? Like, they're drawing people to follow your movement. So that's another way to relate to the world is to say, well, clearly there's people that are in support of this, but they're scared, right? And they need runners to help them. Speaking more generally, though, not, not about runners, but about uh, science fiction in Blades in the Dark, you know, science fiction can be very high-minded as well. Cyberpunk is maybe... You know, it has elements of that. You know, there's elements. We see that in the genres um, like Altered Carbon Explorers, where it's, you know, it has some high-minded concepts that are the focus of what is essentially a cyberpunk story, but with, you know, immortality and other really, like, post-humanist uh, fiction elements. But can Forge in the Dark, can, can Blades in the Dark explore these more these higher science fiction concepts. Can we see a Star Trek Blades in the Dark game? I know you mentioned you're a, you're a fan of Star Trek. How would we do that without turning it into a game about criminals, etc.? Well, that's perfect. A little setup for me. I guess I'll tee that one off by talking about uh, Voyagers in the Dark. That's a oh? Voyagers in the Dark would be a sci-fi military uh, mashup, and of course your crew. You know, I think one of the ways that this has informed that is that there are things like uh, post-human elements in this game. Wait, is this? Let's let's clarify for our audience: is is this a game that you're working on? Right, it's a new game I'm working on uh, <laughs> with another creator. Okay, me and Sean are going to work on this game to provide a more positive spin, I suppose you might say, on the genres that Blades can cover. One thing that is key in that is secrecy is almost it's 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 sidelined it's it's possible but it's sidelined and and uh, one of the things that happens in that uh these sci-fi genres is that you get things like when someone dies could they be revived with cloning mm -hmm. <laughs> right or what happens to their brain when that happens maybe we have a discussion about the long-lasting implications of being cloned multiple times which i think altered carbon definitely brought to mind for me when you mentioned that i was like oh of course mm -hmm. that's a huge uh, inspiration as well uh the altered carbon stuff for the the shell fiction that i've got going on here in this game but in general uh i think that the way that these technological elements help to broaden those horizons about what you might discuss and and encounter in the game it also leads you into well are 
these themes positive or more of like you know this criminal side is definitely dark whereas uh, voyagers in the dark is going to be the dark is figurative uh it's the space around you it's the outer space it's yeah. not it's the void yeah it's the void it's not the uh, uh -huh. the inner the inner void that some people carry around with them when they're doing crimes and what are some challenges you've had to like establishing this space that's a little more broad right than than the criminal fiction that we're used to seeing from fortune the dark this is a good topic because it also shows some of the ways that blades is super flexible so one of the first challenges i had was deciding what to do about the breadth of actions mm -hmm. people in star trek can accomplish a lot with technology right yeah and in yeah. many ways <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they're yeah. just like they're like put their hand to their head right and <laughs> they point at their temple and they do a thing mm -hmm. and that pulls the lever pushes the buttons on the shuttlecraft uh, or they dress like western people on a planet mm -hmm. <laughs> where everyone's got six guns <laughs> yes sorry i'm an old i'm an uh, the original series fan as well i see I watched that when I was a kid, the Star Trek original series. So. But not to interrupt you, you, you were talking about challenges with, with capturing this fiction and actions. Yeah, good, good. Rain me in, rain me in. Uh, <laughs> so, the, yeah, the challenges I faced, I think, early on was deciding if the crew would come up with their own reasonings for being on this starship, which is very Firefly-esque or even... Mm -hmm. Or Scum and Villainy really explored this very completely, I think. And, and uh, I wanted to go a different direction, which was, well, let's have there be uh, missions. There's a general focus of, like, the campaign. There's, like, a military campaign going on. Uh, mm -hmm. this, this draws a lot from Band of Blades, which we were using as some inspiration as well. Like, instead of Chosen, there might be a ship. You know, you'll pick your ship, and that'll have a mission kind of mission and themes that are central to that ship. So that kind of thing. I think uh, also deciding what to do with the many, many, many personnel aboard a ship <laughs> and how to handle yes. that. Yeah. So there's a, the, right now the focus on that is on developing systems for handling that with uh, mechanical cleanness so that you're not confused as heck and throwing 100 dice at a problem. The idea that your spaceship might have its own crew and yes, I'm conflating those words with that and blades is fascinating <laughs> to me, potentially. Might we see like some kind of worker management element of this game or like crew management element of captaining your own space vessel? Are there larger like in blended blades? We have um, army level roles that the players take on mm. outside of their own outside of the soldiers. Is that an element of this game? Definitely. This is going to be a game where you'll pick the roles of the commanding officers uh, that you mm -hmm. pick the role that you want to take. And then as a player, you'll have duties associated with that to deal with the management aspect. Yeah, there's also going to be multiple dozens of crewmates on the ship. <laughs> you'll have your red shirts to command. Yeah, you'll have. Uh, yeah, you'll have a group of those. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you might say that. You might say that in your game, those red shirts, quote red shirts, are, are drones so that you can like maybe keep the theme more utopian. <laughs> right. But uh, if you're an original series fan like me, yeah, there's red shirts. They don't make it back. 
maybe we, we do like a Kenny in South Park thing where we figure out how they get taken out before they come back. You know, oh no, they killed the red shirts. Oh no, you know. <laughs> how do you plan on dealing with that kind of like large scale technology that can do all kinds of amazing things in a, in a game system where things need to be humanized a little bit so that players can actually like have something to do <laughs> as opposed to pointing their scanner at something and diagnosing the problem. Well, there will be some of that. And then there will also be, yeah, there will definitely also be situations where you're required to bring your people to a place, either transport them in or put them on the shuttle. I think I like the, what you're saying about the way that these fantasy elements too inform my other works, like all that magic stuff I did, uh, the work I did on runners, this, that, that now I'm thinking about psychics, mm -hmm. you know, in a space war. Okay. So you can bring a little bit of that in as well. Yeah. I can use all of the various fictional tools that I've developed. So I think your question was uh, also about like GMs and having to ground things a little bit. Yeah. How do you do that in a setting where like, if Star Trek is the inspiration, how does the GM present this sci-fi experience that presumably is grounded in reality and then also bring in, say, Q equivalent who <laughs> <laughs> can just change the setting with a snap of the finger? Like, how, how do you have both in a sci-fi game? Well, in most sci-fi games, this would be tough. This would be really mm -hmm. tough because what you end up with invariably in sci-fi games is charts. So I'm thinking about you, Traveler, <laughs> right? Your many, many charts. And these things uh, are great when you need to make a ruling and you have the book nearby. But what Blades does, which is great, is empower GMs to make those decisions on the fly. And so I really lean into that by saying really less. Like the less fantastical the setting is, the less I have to write fictional and create that is not obvious. Like we know that we breathe oxygen, right? We know we need some kind of like certain amount mm -hmm. of air or whatever with a percentage of nitrogen in it and da 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 da. And the oxygen levels go too low, we might die on all. Oh, okay. Right. right. So we have that precedent of reality that informs all of this. So, really, what I focused on was what's different? What's different? We have beam weapons. Right? There's weapons based on light, you know, technology and things like this. That will inform where we need to explore as players to describe things more and ground things a little bit. We can say beam weapons exist and move on. And then later, when the engineer wants to work on a beam weapon, we can talk about the inner workings a little bit and try to explore that. Like, oh, there's probably diodes in there or maybe some kind of emitter, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, the emitter that you took off of that alien planet will also fit in there somehow if you would modify it. <laughs> and so, right. yeah, that's, that's where we get these uh, more grounded fictional discussions is we start with a place of, well, Earth exists. And I guess that in a lot of ways, this mirrors what happened with uh, Runners, where I took Earth and then built a setting around that uh, that is fantastical, more fantastical than the real Earth. So... In that way, I'm going to lean on the existing scientific terms that I know about. For example, black holes, uh, gravity wells, and uh, photon energy, uh, things that... These are not super complex terms. Someone would probably be able to understand what they mean by context. 
but they inform a setting that is definitely not about someone rewiring a computer with their brain. In this game, you wouldn't be able to do that so well. You know, the, the fiction says otherwise. I'm curious, actually, about you, Justin. What, <laughs> what are you working on lately? Because we were talking a little bit at the beginning as well about some of the coinciding elements of our games that we're working on. Well, uh, there will be an episode soon talking about Mothlight, my first Forge in the Dark game that is still in development. And that, that definitely plays in the science fiction space uh, in terms of like science fiction adventure. And I'm playing with a number of themes in that game that I'll probably go into more detail in a future episode. But it is worth talking about here in the sense of like cyberpunk and post-fall science fiction adventure are very different. And I certainly had to take a lot of different approaches to that game than I would if I were doing a game built around doing crimes in a fantasy city or even a science fiction crime-based game. And it's been interesting for me to think about the different scientific genres. I'm a big fan myself of speculative fiction. And so that's kind of what I wanted to capture with Mothlight. And maybe I'll talk about it next episode. But one of the exciting developments that was more recent was theming my version of crew books after various speculative fiction concepts. So mm. currently, there's only two that people can play right now. There's essentially a, a pretty extensive ash can of my game up on itch. I encourage people to download it. But right now, there's the Promise Pact. I call my crew books packs. Mm. Um, there's a Promise Pact, which it's kind of a quest-based pact where you're, you have a mission and the whole campaign is about resolving that issue. And it's kind of a fan. It, it has the most in common traditionally with like fantasy adventure tropes, right? You, you have a problem and you set out on a quest to complete it. But then the scavengers pact is one I've been playtesting recently. And, and that has a lot more in common I'm finding with horror sci-fi. Ah. <laughs> and mm. there's a little more tension inherent in the premise where if you don't complete your mission, you may not survive, <laughs> is kind of the idea. And there's also a tension of the premise has you being low on supplies. You might even be stuck in environmental suits, that kind of a thing. And, and the packs I have in development are, are exploring very different things. It's actually been difficult to design because I can't just have the same structure for everyone. And so a big part of the designing the different packs, and I want them to be special, is is like basically coming up with whole new play structures <laughs> for each one. So the other packs I have in development are one which I'm calling Slayers is essentially your Neon Genesis Evangelion, mm. like Mecha Pact, where you're defending some locations from sci-fi monsters of some kind. And then there's also a pack that's going to be centered around a sports drama. So you get to play out your science fiction sports drama a la uh, Alita Battle Angel mm -hmm. or all of the all of the near future, you know, sci-fi roller derby fiction that we've had uh, come out in cinema, etc. I think we've hit our limit, Mark. We hit critical mass. <laughs> exactly, critical yeah. mass. So I want to thank you for coming on to talk about Runners in the Shadows a bit with me. It's been overdue. Thank you. I want to know if there's anything else that you want to plug today before we go out? 
I would plug my itch channel. Uh, that's markcleveland.itch.io. There are two games on there right now. Currently, uh, one of those is Runners. It's available at pay what you want for the black and white version of the character sheets, which gives you pretty much everything you need to play. So that's nice. If you do enjoy the game, it's uh, $10 for the full text. Uh, there's also the game Hope and Magic, which is an experimental foray into being young youths with magical, magical powers and a modern uh, fantasy world as well. Sort of like Miyazaki-influenced type stuff there. And yeah, this in the works, this thing I was just plugging earlier, Voyagers in the Dark. That's, that's a working title. May not find it under that name later, but it should be out soon. I'm excited for that. Yeah, I'm excited for that because I do really like the Band of Lights formula a lot. Me too. Well, as for myself, you can find my work at moth-lands.itch.io. If you're part of the Discord, I think I'm going to start looking for folks to play test an upcoming game of mine called At the Store, which is which is a um, Age of Sail adventure story inspired Blades slash Forge and Dark game. Ooh. And you can get Moth Light on my Itch page. If you do pay the $10 that I'm asking for that, you also open up a community copy for someone else. So I, I encourage you to do so. And don't worry, that game is still in development, and I plan on completing it, <laughs> <laughs> even if it, even if some other things come out uh, a little bit before it. Justin, nah. yeah, I know. <laughs> but you know, all that, all the stuff I do with my other games, it goes back. You know what I mean? It like goes back, and it makes Mothlight even better. So it'll be the, it'll be an Uber game by the time it's done. In any case, thank you again for coming on, Mark. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And remember, listeners, that when it comes to design, we all begin our journey as hacks in the dark. Mm-hmm.